And the purpose of testimonies before preaching on Wednesday nights, as we often do, is to encourage you and to get you thinking about spiritual things, to hear what other people are going through, and to go, man, if they're going through that and they can face it, I can as well. Uh, join me, if you would, for a moment. Pónganse de pie, por favor. All right, let us all stand, go to, uh, stand up for just a little bit, uh, Luke chapter 16, and we will start in verse number one. Now, don't leave, <laughs> but we're going to talk about money, okay? Now, Double don't leave. We're not even talking about giving tonight. The problem, I think, with a lot of churches, the only thing you ever learn about money is you're supposed to give it. And, and that is a, that's a principle we're going to get to. But I, I, I think like we've got a whole lot of cultural undoing to become bi- true Bible believers. Listen, I'll give you an example. If I say, for example, are you a Bible believer? And you say yes. And you have a kid and you refuse to deal with them the way the Bible deal with them. I would say you're not a Bible believer in that area. Okay, uh, I would say this. I would say, are you a Bible? You absolutely every single word. Okay, well, what does the Bible say about how to treat your spouse? Yeah. Right, like you just go down the list. You go, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but, and really, what it is is you don't actually believe the th- the things that don't agree with you. And, and what you have to learn to do is go like, I need to know what does God. Paul says it this way. Nevertheless, what say the Scriptures? I want to know what does God actually say about this subject. I understand that the 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 principle of money. Uh, it may be found the word riches or wealth or the actual word money uh, or, or, or uh, some kind of treasure or something like that. One, it, it, it appears one for every seven verses in your Bible. So it's kind of a big deal. It's not like God has this obscure thought and, and it just don't ever talk about it. Uh, I, for years, people would say you don't talk about uh, religion and politics at family gatherings, right? And I would say, absolutely, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. I don't talk about religion. I want to talk about a person named Jesus Christ. Amen. All right? But, but you have to understand that if you're a Bible believer, there are going to be some things in there that you've got to go, what does God actually say about this? You, can't impl- you cannot implement something you don't know. All right? So look at Luke chapter 16. And uh, tonight we're going to start, uh, talk about the subject of being a, a steward or uh, uh, managing stewardship in the least of all these things. And the least of all these things is actually money. Now, the way we oftentimes read it is uh, uh, stewardship in, in that which is zero. That's not what he says. Stewardship in that which is least. If, if God uh, says, look, if, you, if I can't trust you with this, why would I trust you with this? All right, so, so look at Luke chapter 16. Let's, let's jump in here. Uh, Luke 16, verse 1. And he said also to his disciples, there was a certain rich man. And if you are a student of the book of Luke, what you'll find out is that over and over in the gospel of Luke, He'll say a certain man, a certain woman, a certain man. You say, why is that? Because Luke presents the humanity of Jesus Christ. He's called the son of man. So it says a certain rich man which had a steward, underline that, notice that. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So the steward was wasting the owner or the master's goods. All right, look at verse 2. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy what? For thou mayest be no longer, what? The steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. Now, I don't know if it was like, I can't dig in the sense of like, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Like, I can't dig. You know, like, I don't know if it was that or if it was like, I literally physically, I can't. 
Either way, we don't know. Is it a pride issue? Is it a physical inability issue? He says, to beg, I am ashamed. Why? Because I've been managing this portfolio of this, of this great rich man for so long. Now I'm going to go out and beg to, to live and survive. I've I got to find some other way to handle this. Now look what he does. Look, if you would, at verse number four. I am resolved what to do. I wish Christians were more resolved in what to do. All right? That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill and write four scores. Some of you wish the IRS would treat you this way, don't you? <laughs> how much you owe? You know, it's like five thousand. Let's just call it two thousand. Praise God, right? All right, that's not probably going to happen, all right? But don't hold your breath on that. Look at uh, verse number eight. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Now, this is important to get a hold of. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, I want to be clear with you. He's not saying that you should necessarily take on the character of this unjust steward. What he is saying is there's a lesson to be learned there. And, and, and remember, he says, the children of this world, I answered a young lady's question last week. There's the wisdom of this world, right? And you have to make sure that you balance that with the wisdom that is from on high. Yeah. All right. But, but I want you to notice, uh, look what he says here in verse number uh, 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 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in what? And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, talking about money. That word mammon, if you're not familiar with it, it's a, uh, an Aramaic word. It's a Persian false god. Uh, it's, not, it's not the god of the Bible. It's another god. And what he's saying is this, is that you, you can make a god out of this, Right? Now, he says this, if you're not faithful with, with this unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? You may go, well, God doesn't care about me and money. He absolutely does. You know, God, he uses that as a measuring stick. And he goes, if you're not faithful with this, why would I give you the souls of men? Look at the next verse. And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, Everything you've got is another man's. It came down from up there. You've got a, a, you've got a master of the house, and you're the steward. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Let's ask for God's blessing on the message. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother James if you do that for us, sir. Yes.
Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me, let me just start this off with a couple of thoughts because in our church we continually talk about this. We talk about rightly dividing the scriptures. And so you might look at some of these things in Luke 16 and, and if you were to dig further, uh, you might understand there's some kingdom of heaven principles here and things like that. But there's some practical stuff there in Luke 16 that can apply to your life today. Uh, let me give you this, guys. There are some things. The word uh, everyone likes to talk about trans these days. There are some things that are trans-testament, all right? And what I mean by that, uh, I don't want to you know, make you think anything weird. What I mean by that is regardless of which side of the cross it's on, it still works, right, right. all right? Let, let me give you an example. Go to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. Uh, what I'm about to show you still works. Uh, I, I've been proving it uh, to be true for about 24 years. My wife will tell me, don't count 24. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. You married me on July 29th. We're not there yet, honey. Don't count it. I'm the guy that, I'm a time optimist. I count ahead, all right? Uh, so but look at Genesis chapter 2. Uh, here's something that, that transcends, it transcends dispensation. Look at Genesis chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his McRibs, there you go, <laughs> and closed up the flesh and said thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken for man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, uh, this trans age in which we live, people are constantly try, trying to say that a man can become a woman, a woman can become, uh, can become a man. Uh, there are, there are catas- uh, catastrophic things that happen when you allow a man who is larger to play in female sports. You ever wonder why women are smaller? It's right there. You were taken out of man. All right, and, and not because you are less than him. You are meant to compliment him. Literally, and I'm not trying to be funny, you complete him. He was miserable without you. <laughs> and God says, you need, you need this. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> oh, baby, I love you so much. <laughs> you know, but all the veterans are like, get out of here. You know, uh, look, look, at, uh, look down, if you would, at verse number 23. And Adam said, it's now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. You know how I read that? She shall be called, whoa, man. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's what he thought when he saw her, because she was taken out of man. Now, watch this. Therefore, shall a man quit playing video games, grow up, get a job, save some money. (laughs) It's in the original languages, I'm sure. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let me ask you a question. Has that changed from over here to over here? No, it hasn't. Not one bit. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, to kind of follow up on that, Paul talks about this, and the Lord Jesus Christ talks about it in Matthew 19. So there are some things, th- there are distinctions between men and women, and those transcend dispensation, all right? If you go to, uh, uh, to Timothy, you don't have to go there right now, uh, but it says this, it says, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor do you usurp her authority over a man, all right? And what that's talking about is a woman getting behind a pulpit and filling the, the position of a bishop, of a pastor, and preaching to men and women. That is not biblical. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's 2024, 2023, 20, whatever year it's going to be, it's still not going to be biblical, all right? God doesn't change. There are some things that God set up way back over here that don't change over time. Here's another one, all right? In the Old Testament, they're told not to drink blood. In the Old Testament, they're told not to have idols, well, guess what? In the New Testament, God still says, don't drink blood and don't do idolatry. Uh, in the Old Testament, God says, hey, I'm not a fan of sexual perversion. I'm not a fan of adultery, heterosexual or otherwise. I'm not a fan of women looking like men and men looking like women. 
I'm not a fan of any of that stuff, so don't do that. And if you believe, oh, that's Old Testament and no, that no longer uh, uh, matters anymore, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are some things I'm trying to get across to you before we get into this thing that transcend dispensation, that, that transcend whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it still applies. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, I'll give you one. You know what you have in the Old Testament? You have civil government. So in the New Testament, Paul talks about that, and Paul says, hey, obey them that have the rule over you, Hebrews 13. That's in a, in a spiritual context. But he also says in Romans chapter 13 that you are to obey the powers that be because the powers that be are ordained of God. So let's say we go out and we street preach, and the police comes by and says, hey, you guys can do whatever you want, but can you not be on the park bench because someone complained about it, and technically that's private property. I know my rights! You're an idiot if you do that. Listen to the man. He's not trying to cause you. He's trying to be nice. I've watched guys be idiots before. And it's like, you're not making, you're not a martyr for Jesus. You're just making his name stink in the eyes of the public. All right. So, so again, you know, you should, you're submit until it's time you can no longer can because you have to submit to a higher power to the higher power being God. That transcends any dispensation. The idea of authority, that transcends any dispensation. God is a God of order and structure, and when you get ahead of God because you don't want to follow authority, you are getting out from underneath God's authority, and you're following it. I know it's going to sound like a, like a harsh statement. You're following Satan's path. That's what Satan did. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I don't need to know what God says. I don't need to do what God says. I don't need to follow the, that guy. I'll just do my own thing. Okay, fine. Do whatever you want. It's America, free country. But I'm going to tell you what, you're, when you do that, you can't say you're following God. There are things that transcend dispensation. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and I'll be very clear with you. We're not going to read a list of things that, you, that, that will make you unsaved. If you're a saved person, regardless of what you do in the flesh, you're saved. Can I get a witness? Yes. All right. However, let's just notice some things that God's not a fan of. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh there's a couple of yeah there we go look at verse number nine know you not that the unrighteous shall not now it doesn't say you're not going to go into the kingdom of god it doesn't say you won't enter it says inherit inherit means you will not receive the rewards that the lord has for you at the judgment seat of christ you'll miss out on what god wants for you in eternity you'll be saved you'll be in heaven but there'll be a lack of rewards to show for the life that god gave you you will not inherit the kingdom of god be not deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Anybody want to know, care to define what that means? That's a man that wants to be a woman. All right, you, you go down the list. There, what I'm trying to get across here is this, guys. There are things that God said in the Old Testament that are still true today, all right? And, and so what I want you to understand is that when it comes to the subject of money, we're going to look at some things that are Old Testament, some of them New Testament, and just understand these principles are universal throughout Scripture. Here's one principle that's universal, the idea of stewardship. All right, the idea of stewardship. Now, the first time that word shows up in your Bible, go to Genesis 15 real quickly. Genesis chapter 15. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in regards to the mysteries of God, all right, the, the, uh, Paul says this, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, not successful, faithful. It's not so much that you know all the outcomes of your, of your efforts. It's more that you are being diligent and faithful, that you have character, and that you do right when no one else is watching because it's right before God. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, are you a steward of God? You ought to be. 
Once you're saved, you know what God does? He puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you are a steward of that. Uh, when you get saved, God gives you the Bible. You're a steward of that. Do you read it? Do you study it? God gives you the opportunity to come to him and pray and have a relationship with him. That is a relationship that you are a steward of, that you should be maintaining. And God gives you the resources, but you're the one that has to steward that. God's not going to make you do it. <laughs> He's the one that has all the goods, and they're all his, and you get to borrow them for a time, but it's on you to maintain those things, all right? Uh, look at Genesis chapter 15, and this is the first time that the word uh, steward shows up in your Bible. And what Abraham is doing is Abraham's talking to God about a problem. He doesn't have a son. And God told him, you're going to have a son. And so Abraham's kind of tired of waiting. You ever get tired of waiting on God? I got one person that said amen. All right. All right. Uh, I can say I do as well. Look at Genesis 15. Look at verse number one. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I'm thy shield and thy great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Now, now, if you want to see what Eliezer calls himself, go to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. And I want you to get this because what you learn is stewardship and servanthood are connected. All right? Those terms, steward and servant, are used synonymously in the Bible. I look at Genesis 24, and look, if you would, at verse number 34. And uh, look, look what he says when he gets a chance to speak. And by the way, uh, it calls him the servant of Abraham multiple times in this chapter. This is when Eliezer goes and, tries to, and, and is, is seeking out a bride for Abraham, his master's son. All right, now, if you were to draw this up as far as typology goes, Abraham is a picture of God the Father. All right, Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And one more thing I'll mention in a moment. And uh, Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ. And Rebecca is a picture of the bride, the church. That's it. And so you know what, you know what happens? The, the Lord says, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to send my comforter. And the, watch it, Revelation, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. All right, and so the idea is this, is that Eliezer is going out on behest of his master, all right, and he's going out, and he's going out to get a bride. It's also a picture of a New Testament Christian going out in the Father's will and being a witness for Jesus Christ and going out into a far country and bringing back a part of that bride to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're called to do every day that you're out there, by the way. All right. Now, all that said, look what he calls himself, verse number 34, and he said, I am Abraham's what? All right, so you know what that tells you? The word steward and servant are synonymous. You know what that means? The servant is not the owner. The servant is not the master. Who's the master? The Lord is. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from the Father above. Whatever it is that God has given you, it is borrowed for a time. I'm talking your kids, your marriage, your house, your car, your 401k. And I'm not saying that, that God's against you saving. We're going to talk about that uh, over the next several weeks, uh, what God says about that. Nothing wrong with it. But I want you to understand, that's just borrowed for a time. And eventually, you leave it. And so what, what the Lord wants you to get, first of all tonight, is this. You don't own what you think you own. All right? Who here is a homeowner? Raise your hand. 
All right, now let me ask you a question. Who has paid off their mortgage? 100%. I haven't either. You know what that means? You own it, but you don't. Are you with me? And, and so there's things that God has blessed you with and God has given you, and you have them in your possession, but you are the steward of them. You're not the owner of them. That is why when God says, yeah, but I want your, your, you to handle this like this in your marriage, I don't just say, yeah, well, that's my wife. Well, well it, it's my wife, but you know what? He could take her from me, and he's the one that gave her to me. You understand? So when it comes to whatever you have in your life, this is one of the hardest things to get across. That's why I don't want to start about, you know, talking about giving and time. We'll get to that way down the road. That's way down the road. You need to understand tonight, what you have is not yours. It is borrowed for a time and for a purpose. All right, look at Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And I understand that some of you might even be able to quote this verse. Here's why we're doing this. Depending on your background, some of you come from backgrounds where you thought, you know, money is evil. Oh, man, money's bad. Of course, you still want it, but it's evil, right? Yeah, and money's terrible, you know, money's awful. And, and, and then some of you came from backgrounds where if you have money, that's, that must mean you're godly. And, and you need to understand these are extremes, and we're going to talk about this. You know what God does not care for? He does not care for things that are out of balance. And when people skew what God says, that creates a false, a false balance. And when there's a false balance, then what you have is you've got Christians that run in, in opposite extremes, but they run in extreme uh, uh, corners and they go, I'm spiritual because. And a lot of times the Bible goes, I'm spiritual because I'm poor. You might be poor because you're terrible with money. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. You might be poor because you, you, you don't know how to balance a budget. See, now it's, oh, well, preacher, thanks a lot for rain on my parade. I thought I was spiritual because I was poor. And then the rich guy goes, I don't need God. I'm good, or I'm blessed of the Lord. Look at all that I have. You might be rich because you're a scoundrel and you're a stingwad. I don't know. I mean, maybe, or you might, hey, how about this? Maybe, maybe, maybe you have what you have because you've worked. God's giving the ability, and you've given him the glory, and he's decided to bless you more. So we got to get away from this, like, these weird, and, and depending on what you saw growing up, maybe you, maybe you were raised in a home where it was like, man, we barely got by, and, and we would cut corners where we could, and we would, you know, if we could cheat the IRS, we'd do that, and we could do this. And, and I'm serious, because depending on how you're raised, you might have a real weird, different uh, idea of what money should look like and how you should approach it. Some people are hoarders. You go into a food line, and you watch people go into food, and you're just kind of like, like, bro, there's 80 people behind you, right? And, and, and you say, why is that? Because if you're raised in an environment where it's, man, dog eat dog, that doesn't just go away overnight, even when you get saved. You have to untrain all of that and line it up with the word of God, right? And so if you're raised like that, or maybe, maybe, I, knew, I know someone I'm thinking of right now, uh, his dad was a giver, such a giver, that he died penniless, left his mom in a huge lurch, gave away all of his stuff to, to a lot of great causes, but left her in a real bad spot. Now, you may go, well, that's wonderful. He gave it all away. Okay, but what does the Bible say about it? Doesn't the Bible say if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel? See, see, there's, there, I, I can tell right now I'm already kind of just making some ways, and I'm challenging some of the way you think, and I can feel it. 
It's like, well, I thought it was good to give everything away. First off, you're not doing it. Stop it. <laughs> not in, no one's in this room giving everything away, so just stop with a facade, all right? That's number one. Number two, what does God actually say about it? And the problem is this. I remember one time I was in school, and Dr. Ruttman said, uh, he goes, uh, all right, I want, uh, uh, I want someone to give me two verses on, on athletics, on sports and the Bible. I'm like, what's, what, who, why, what? What are you talking about? I want to give me two verses on money, uh, two verses on this. And two, I don't know if you ever remember him doing that, but I, I remember doing that. And I, I, I thought to myself, what, why, why is he doing that? As I've gotten older, I've learned why. The idea is this. We have a lot of presuppositions about things that are not biblical. And then when we get in the Bible, we go, oh, huh. <laughs> well, maybe, that's, maybe, maybe the Lord wants to challenge us a little bit. And, and, and you know what I think the best thing to do is? You cannot be a steward of something if you don't know what it is and you don't know how to handle it. Good. All right? Uh, Paul says this, I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay. Well, let me, let me throw this out there. Uh, a couple years ago, the whole COVID thing blew up. Not a political thing. I'm just trying to go through some history, all right? And there were people that, like, were quadruple masking. I'm not, I'm not throw, making fun of anyone. Just bear with the illustration, okay? Uh, and, and in a car by themselves with four masks on. <laughs> Again, I'm not, I'm still, I know you guys might think I'm being funny. I'm being serious. I really am. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I really am not, all right? And, and you say, what was that? Fear. The fear drove them to act a certain way. There wasn't, I mean, come on, guys. The, the guy, the Fauci guy, well, you know, we came up with this six-foot thing. wasn't really science after all. You know, like, that's what he says now. Yeah. It's, on, it's recorded in congressional hearings. So was it science or was it not? I don't even know. I don't even care. My point is this. When people don't understand something, oftentimes they are brought under the power of it. Okay. Now, let me give you one thing that you should always be afraid of. One, that you will never completely understand in this life. God. Okay, that's it. That's it. Outside of that, you should, as Paul says, I will not be brought under the power of any. That means this. If I can understand, if I can add some knowledge, we're going to look at some verse on this. If I can add some knowledge to my faith and I know what God says about it, then I'm less prone to falling under the power of it. Right? And when I say the power of it, it's either the, the, the presupposition that all money is bad or the presupposition that all money is of God or the presupposition that you know, saving everything is, uh, I need to save everything uh, or, or the presupposition I need to give it all away. These are things that people say when they're not actually in their Bible. And when you get in the book, you find out, look at Revelation chapter four. Listen, the reason that God gives you whatever he gives you, here's here's. God gives you money just like your life and your breath and your family and your job and everything else. He gives this to you for a time and for a purpose. You know what the purpose is? The time is now because you're finite and the clock's ticking, buddy. Our, 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 our clock is just, it's constantly going and eventually we take our last breath. We are finite. But the purpose for which God gives us the things he gives us in this life, even though the items themselves, like money, might be finite, the purpose that he gives us these things for is infinite. So the, the material is finite, but the purpose is infinite. Make sense? Look at Revelation chapter 4, look if you would at verse number 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, 
to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy what? They are and were created. You know what that includes? You. You exist to please God. And you need to understand that if you are a steward, every steward, the main passage we just read, you know what that steward was brought into? That steward was brought into a time of accountability. Stewards are not the judges. The judge is the owner. The judge is the master. The judge would be, like in Luke 16, a certain rich man is going to call the steward and say, hey, what are you doing with what I've given you? That is what you need to get a hold of. All right? and, and while God may call money filthy lucre, and he does that in 1 Timothy 3 and, and in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5, where he talks about uh, shepherds uh, taking the oversight, not by constraint, not, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. He puts a, 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 a caveat, if you will, on pastors and says, look, you better not get into this for money. Because this, this, this is worth a whole lot more money. It's worth the souls of men and women. Now, in, in light of all of that, in light of all of that, he says to us in Luke 16, if you can't handle that which is least, the least in the past is being the money, how will I entrust you to the true riches? Look at Romans chapter 14. Understand the principle of stewardship of your money. Romans chapter 14. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. Let's say I pull out of this parking lot and uh, I take my car and I run over a pedestrian who's just minding their own business walking down the street. And I just say, you know what? I don't like the way that guy looks. <laughs> Boom. Question, is my car evil? Am I evil? Yes. Yes. Some of you enjoyed that a whole lot. Yes. <laughs> Pastor is evil. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so, so I could take my car and pick people at the church, uh, 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 out in the community and bring them to church. Question, does that make the car good? No, the car has no moral quality. It makes the user, it makes the user's intention clear. It reveals something about the person behind the wheel more than it does the car. The money's not the object of judgment, it's you. You need to get a hold of that. It isn't the money. God goes, it's filthy lucre, it's dirty, it's unrighteous mammon, but I'm going to use it as a measuring stick because I'm going to tell where your priorities at. I'm going to tell what you love. I'm going to tell what matters to you. I'm going to tell what you're willing to invest in. And by that, I'll be able to understand your character and your heart. You see, what is that? That shows me, look at Romans 14. I am going to give an account of what I, let me ask you a question. Will I give an account of what I did as a pastor preaching the word of God? Okay. Will I give an account, let, let's say, let's say for example, that, uh, I don't know, let's, uh, Joe's not here. Should we pick on Joe since he's not here? Let's do it. Let's say that Joe, let's just twist our fake mustache here. Let's say that Joe, I wish Troy, you still had that mustache, man. We missed that, man. Uh, but, but let's say that Joe was stealing money from the church. Do you think he would give account of that to God? Sure he would. All right. Now you say, absolutely, yes. Okay, then let me ask you this. Do you think God cares about what you think about and what you, what you consume mentally and what your dreams are and your habits and your hobbies and your money? 
Okay, so it's not like, well, there's the secular part of my life and then here's the Christian side. Here's prayer and Bible reading and then here's money because it's worldly. No, no, no. It's all, it's all part of your life. And while it may be a material possession that is finite, God wants to see how you are going to handle it because that says something about you. Look at Romans 14. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. Romans 14, verse number 11. The Bible says, For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one, what are the next two words? Who is Paul writing to? Yeah. Believers in Rome, Christians. That's you. You may not live in Rome, but you're a New Testament born-again believer. Amen? So every one of us shall give a cap. Now watch this. You may not, you may, maybe you take it for granted. Account. Sean's getting excited right now. <laughs> numbers, 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 yes! <laughs> I'm like, no thanks, you know. Um, all right, a count, remember it this way. It is a count. All right, the Old Testament, God, God says to Abraham, tell the stars if thou be able. You go to a bank, and they have the person behind the window, and they're called a teller. All right? So an account is giving a count. Now, you may not think this, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You may not believe this, but... If I'm going to give an account to God, which I will, and you will, at the judgment seat of Christ, and the way the Bible lays it out is it refers, and I'm going to show you this here in just a moment, so you, you get past you know the church age, and the, the next major event at the end of the church age, you guys know this, is the rapture of the church, all right? Uh, if you spend too much time on YouTube, some jack wagons will try to convince you it's a new idea that came out in the 1900s. Uh, there was a church father that talked about in the second century. Uh, and oh, by the way, Jesus, you know, and the apostles, they kind of matter too. Um, so the rapture is the next major event, and then you have the judgment seat of Christ. All right, that, that's what we call the day of Christ. Well, why is that called the day of Christ? And the other one where he comes back to establish his kingdom is called the day of the Lord. Well, here's one reason, all right? This one has to do with him getting his bride. This one has to do with him getting his kingdom. And as it relates to getting his bride, you know what it says there? It says the bride hath made herself ready. I remember when you were getting ready for your wedding day. There's a process. And gentlemen, don't mess with the process. (laughs) All right? Like, there's going to be a process when you get married as well. All right? And other was for her. And I'd never forget when she started walking down, I was like, that's mine, that's mine forever and ever and ever. I thought she was so beautiful. But you know what? There's a process that takes, you don't just, you don't just show up and like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe the guys would if we could. <laughs> I mean, but the ladies, no, oh man, I got to look nice. Well, the Bible says the bride hath made herself ready. Well, you know what it says in Ephesians 5? That Christ wants to present to himself a church without spot or wrinkle. So, you know what has to happen before she can get married? She has to go take care of some business. And she makes herself ready. That's you. Standing in front of Jesus Christ, your Savior, giving a count 
of your years, hours, minutes, dollars. See, it's all part of it. Uh, look at look at Second Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. And, and please understand where, where we're not going with this is here's what you do with money: give it all to God. That's not that's not that's not what God even says. Uh, but what, listen, if the Lord impressed on, on someone supernaturally to give everything to the Lord, I'm not going to stop that. But that's not, we understand biblically when you look at the narrative of the Bible, God is not like, I want you to, to, to sell everything and give it to me right now. There is the example in the early church where they did it, and you can see the supernatural hand of the Holy Spirit for a unique thing that was going on there. But generally throughout the Bible, in the New Testament, when Paul talks to Christians, he doesn't say sell everything, give it all to God. All right, so, so again, people are so like tightly wound when you talk about this because they're worried that you think God's going like, to dip his hand in your wallet and start taking all their bills out. He's not, he's not hard up for your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All right, he doesn't need us. Uh, but he allows us to get involved with some of these things spiritually and eternally. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice what Paul says here in regards to the judgment seat of Christ. Look, if you would, at verse number Eight, wherefore we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be, what's next word? Accepted of him. Look, I'm already, in, in Ephesians it says, I'm accepted in the beloved. As it relates to my salvation, I've already been accepted. Now, here's what you need to understand. There is a, a delineation you have to make. And here it is. When it comes to my salvation, all right, I'm already accepted. 100%, it's a done deal. Why? You know why? Because all of that is based on what Jesus Christ did for me. I did nothing. All I did was receive that gift, all right? But as it relates to my stewardship, man, that's me. And that's what I do with what God gives me. You know why Paul says what he says here? Because maybe, hey, question mark, Will what I've done be accepted? I don't know. Go back to the first book of your Bible. You'll find a, a man named Cain, and God didn't accept his sacrifice, but he accepted his brothers. You know what that tells me? God has a way he wants things done. And so maybe I'll be accepted as far as my stewardship goes, and maybe I'll be rewarded for it, or maybe I won't, based on what I did. Now, look what, look what he says here. Look at verse number uh, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his what? You spend money in the body, don't you? You don't spend money in your soul. That's physical. So the things that you do in this physical life, we are going to give an account for someday. All right? And you need to get that. Understand that as it relates to the Lord, listen, it's not like God's going to separate uh, uh, this part of your life and this part. If you're a born-again Christian, it's all supposed to be His. Let me ask you this question. Do you, think, do you think that you as an American Christian will be judged the same way as it relates to money as a Christian that was saved in India out of the squalors of the, of the squalor camps there? You say, well, in one way, yes, God is just. Yeah, but you had more. And see, the Bible says, to whom much is given of him shall much be required. 
So, so you need to look at, okay, if I'm going to give an account of this, I want to know how I should handle this. Now, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Midweek Bible what? All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, I mentioned some false uh, balance things. I talked about that and how people kind of get skewed on things. And, and we oftentimes, we, I think the, the term balance in the Bible might mean more to us if we understood the context. It's not just like, all right, what it is is this, back in the olden days, all right, and I'm talking back in the Old Testament times, and really uh, up until not, not all that long ago, I'd say within the last maybe a couple hundred years, uh, oftentimes the way that they would weigh something, let's say you're buying food, they've got a weight scale here, and they've got on one side uh, 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 an amount of money that's supposed to match a certain amount of weight on this side. Now, what happens if you take this scale and you rig it? And you rig it. You ever go to, I call it Baby Vegas, Chuck E. Cheese, or, 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 or yeah, sure, it's Baby Vegas. The kids are, no, just next time, next time, next time. You know, little, little addicts there, you know. And, and you ever get those, those, those uh, big old machines where we, we went to, uh, what was that, play, uh, in Parker, Boondocks. And, and uh, me and Preston probably spent way too much money, Lord forgive me, on, on this machine trying to get the, the giant claw and then it has the, the stuffed animal, and it brings it up, and then, oh, boom, 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 it drops it, right? And, and like, you say, what is it? It's rigged, man. I mean, you'll spend 150 bucks and get a stuffy and be like, yay! Who in the, I mean, go to Walmart and buy 30 of them, right? But it feels good when you win one, let's be honest, right? Now, now you say, what is it? It's rigged. So a rigged scale was out of balance. So this is why he says in Leviticus, a just weight is his delight. And he says in Deuteronomy, a just weight is his delight. And he says in Proverbs, a false balance is the abomination of the Lord, but just weights are his delight. Why does he say that over and over and over? Because when you come into a situation and you set the scale yourself, instead of letting God set the scale, it's going to be out of balance. Which is why it's so important that you learn what does God actually say about this versus how was I raised and, and what did my parents think about this and, and did I grow up with a lot of money, a little bit of money. None of that stuff is really what determines what truth is. What determines truth, it might be real to you. Look, it, when, a, when a kid is struggling with their identity, they go, I feel like I'm a girl. That feeling is real to them, but that feeling does not define truth. So how you feel about money is maybe real to you, but it doesn't determine what God says about it. And it's important to get, get a hold of that. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Now, I don't know this is another message in and of itself. God tells you he gave you great and precious promises. If you don't know them, you cannot claim them. I would encourage you to start highlighting in your Bibles. You read your Bible, especially New Testament, and see the promises God made you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Isaiah 26, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on thee because he trusteth in thee. I don't have to be ridden with anxiety and depression. Why? Because he told me if my mind is stayed on him, then I can have peace in that. Amen. All right? Uh, uh, so, so look at St. Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that by these promises he's talking about, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, 
Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue what? Do you guys remember um, The Wizard of Oz? Creepiest movie for a kid. Flying monkeys? Everyone's like, it's a great kid's movie. No, it's not. I had nightmares for weeks, man. Um, remember, remember, remember how they were like, oh, the, the, the wonderful, the all-powerful Oz. Remember that? The wizard. Remember when they finally got there, he goes, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And when they got there, they realized, this guy isn't what we thought. Listen, the reason there was so much power over them is they didn't know what was behind the curtain. Once they saw what was behind the curtain, they're like, oh, this isn't what we thought. I think the reason why a lot of Christians struggle with this subject is because they treat it like the Wizard of Oz. It's kind of like, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to give it. I know that much. There's a whole lot more to it than that, guys. Understand that once you learn money's a vehicle, it's not the destination. You're, the, the, the problem with pop culture, especially like on Instagram and TikTok, is like, man, I, I got this, this internet business in like a year. I'm like a bajillionaire. <laughs> and they show like a 21-year-old with like a Ferrari. And so like all these bozos sign up to learn this guy's. First off, if it's something only this guy knows, and he's only willing to sell it to you for $50, it's probably not as good as you think it is. All right? But, but the problem is we think money's the destination. So you know what you, know, you find out? Most Americans, no matter what their income level is, they say they need 20% more. So if you make 100000 you need 120. Now some of you go, I wouldn't need, I wouldn't need more. Yes, you would. <laughs> yeah, you would. You know why? Because you need it now. And you think if I just had more, then I would be, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> the, the problem is money's not the destination. It's the vehicle. And it's supposed to be taking you closer to God. You say, how can money take me closer to God? It's what you do with it. <laughs> you know that money can be a defense? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This is in the Bible. And a lot of people don't realize that. And understand that the author of Ecclesiastes is talking about life under the sun. I recognize the context. Um, but from just a, a standpoint of life under the sun, you know what money is intended to be? And it can be, it can be a help to you. It can be a resource. It can be a tool. Not to be abused, but it, it, God, it, God, the Holy Spirit inspired this. Look at Ecclesiastes 7, and look, if you would, at verse number 12. For wisdom is a defense. I would agree with that. Wouldn't you guys agree with that? If you're wise, it'll help you out. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. That's in the Bible. <laughs> you know what that means? It can help you. It just, listen, God, I'm going to say this right now. God does not have a problem with you having money. He has a problem with money having you. Okay? He does not have a problem. God says, look, this can be used to help you. <laughs> if you use it properly and you do with it what God says, then listen, it's not so much the money as much as it is the, in, the intention of the user that gets exposed. Uh, let, me, let me say this. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a real, you guys want a real uh, rich quick scheme? You ready for it? Go to Proverbs chapter 13. Here we go. Everybody write, write this down, all right? Here's how you get rich. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. Wealth. That's money. Wealth gotten by vanity 
shall be what? All right, so let's say that you are a TikTok star and you make millions of dollars. You know what's going to happen eventually? Young ladies, you're going to get old and wrinkly. No one's going to want to watch you. Okay? So, so, so if, if that's how you make it, watch out. It won't be there long. It'll be diminished. It's vanity. If you are making money by lying and cheating and being dishonest, and it doesn't stand the test of time, it's vain. If you are cutting corners on how you make money, if God says, here's this great rich quick scheme, all right, here it is. You ready? It's called a J-O-B. And, and you know what I've, I've learned, and I'm not saying this, I think we got some great young men, but I, I can tell you, don't tell me, I'll tell you. I work in a business that hires people, and I got 20-somethings, they're able-bodied young men, and I'm like, oh, I'll do anything. You tell them, what about this job? Oh, you're not hungry enough, man. Uh, look what he says in the rest of the verse. Wealth gone by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth, gathereth what? Wealth. That's the, the subject at the beginning of the, of, the, of the verse. He that gathereth by labor shall what? Can I ask you a question? Now, everyone wants a job where it's passive income. Just passive. All right. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't have that. But I'm going to say this. Not everyone's called to that. And when everyone wants to be something that they're not made to be, you've got a problem. And if God gives you the ability to do that, praise the Lord. I'm not against it at all. But I'll say this, most people are not. So God says, hey, it's probably, and I'll say this right now, even if you get to that point as a business owner where you have passive income, I don't think it's a, 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 a detriment to anyone's life to first learn how to have a job with the boss you hate. Yeah. And coworkers that drive you insane. I'm not saying you should live there forever, okay? I'm just saying it's good to have that experience. You know why? Because eventually, if God promotes you, you know what you'll do? You'll think, I'll never be like that guy. Amen. 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 And so you know what the Lord says? Hey, if you want wealth and you want money, work. Look at 1 Thessalonians. We live in a culture that is not promoting the value of work. We have a deficit. Some of you don't know this. We have a deficit of skilled trade workers right now. So for some people, the idea is, well, just don't have a border, let anyone come in the country, regardless of what they're bringing with them, and hope that they've got some trade uh, skills with them. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably not the best way to build a society long term. All right? The, 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 what you ought to do is look at your youth right now and go, get me that stupid phone. You're not going to live on this for the rest of your life. Here's a hammer. Here's some nails. Here's a saw. Here's some things that you will help you for the rest of your life. Every kid in high school is like, I want to be a gaming programmer. You're not smart enough. You don't, you don't excel in math. You're not, giving to, you're not diligent in math. Why would you be a programmer? You won't even pass algebra right now. Now, it's not that you can't. It's that you're not. See, this all goes back to character, doesn't it? Uh, look, look at Proverbs chapter number, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Forgive me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I told you 1 Thessalonians. That's, there is a passage there in 1 Thessalonians uh, 3 about it as well, actually. But I want to go to 2 Thessalonians. And we, uh, a couple years ago, we did a verse-by-verse study on this. And, uh, you know, you got folks that, that mean well. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, you, you are, you're in a, you're in the, I'm just going to say it like it is. You're watching the destruction of Western civilization. You are. 
You know how you know it? You see able-bodied men on a street corner holding a sign instead of working. I'm not, I'm not, you know, throwing stones at them, but that's the sign. Here's another one. A guy comes out and violently attacks a woman, and five men are right there. They don't do anything. That's the sign of your, your country's gone. Your civilization is gone. And, and, and so when it comes to work, you go, this stuff is, is kind of like, I don't preach or can we go talk about something else? Work for God. Let's go street preach. I don't want you street preaching if you can't hold a job. Yeah, I'm serious. Don't think that God's like bamboozled by your lack of character because you want to go out on Saturday nights and have a good time. Yeah. Now, if you're, I'm not saying that's you. I'm just, this is me seeing things, not in even in our church, but over the decades in Christianity. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is that God cared about these things. You know why? Because doing the hard thing when nobody is watching is who you really are. That reveals who you are. So God says, you want money? I want you to have money. God, would you please bless me? God, would you please? Lord's like, yes, here's Indeed and here's ZipRecruiter. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and here's LinkedIn or whatever else. Like, here, uh, let's, let's go. Well, I'm just waiting on God to bless. He's giving you hands. And feet, and, and a body, and a mind. Now, now, there's a lot to be said about jobs and all that. I'm not going to go into all that, but just let me just let's read the let's read what God says about work. Second Thessalonians chapter three. And can I remind you, the first chapter of Genesis is all about God's work. The Bible begins with God doing everything. He's not lazy. He wants you to know that He's a doer. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three. Look, if you would, at verse number ten. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he. Is that still Bible? Okay. Look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you. What's the next word? See, some of you think disorder is like, ah, oh, they're clubbing and they're doing drugs. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, maybe, but, but here's another one. You're not working. And because you're not working, you can't keep a job. You get involved in other people's business and you're a busybody. I didn't write the book. Here's what it says. Working not at all, but our busybodies. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness, they work. How many have a job where you don't necessarily enjoy everyone around you? Eric, if you raise your hand or Stan, if you raise your hand, you're fired. All right. All right stop it. Uh, the children at home don't count. All right. <laughs> She's like, they're stupid monsters, you know. Uh, now, now, Lily says that you work with quietness. That's hard. Is that, is that Bible or not? Yeah. You know what that means? Sometimes you just got to put your head down. Yeah. Well, they didn't appreciate my genius, and I'm just waiting for the perfect job. You're, you're lazy. Amen. And you want to cover it up with spiritual reasons, and it's wrong. Yeah. And we've got a society where women are working harder than the men. Amen. And it's not right. And then you come to church and the preacher mentions, it's like, oh, I just think you're I'm not judging you. I'm preaching the Bible. <laughs> and we need this. These young guys need this. <laughs> they need to understand, look, no one's going to, you know, well, you know, it's just, it's hard. But Preston the other day, he's like, dad, look at this. It was really cool, honestly. He's like, check it out. Busted blisters. I was like, good job, buddy. And oh, by the way, do you know why he's working? I'm going to tell you a little story. Here's this story. But a man named Brady, not Brady, all right? <laughs> My son was playing in the nursery. Shouldn't have been. He broke something back there. Miss Nia's like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, she's like, it's cool. I'm like, but he broke it. Well, it still works. I'm like, 
yeah, but we don't want a ghetto nursery. <laughs> you know? We don't want the nursery to look like the rest of Aurora, you know? <laughs> Come on, give me that, all right, guys? I love this city. This city is where God's called me. But, 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 but he broke that thing, and him and uh, he had some cohorts with him. And, uh, and uh, uh, one of Tim's boys was in there, too. And so you know what we did? We had the boys work out in the barn, get some blisters, and make money only so when they got the money, they could hand it right back, and we could put an offering envelope and say, for the thing that I broke. I say, why? Because I want them to learn some character. Well, Daddy, aren't you the preacher? Can't you pay me out? Absolutely not. Right. You broke it. I didn't break it. Can you pay for it? I could, but I ain't. Because <laughs> for the rest of your life, I'm not going to be the one fixing your issues. All right. So, so what I'm getting at is this: the Bible. See, this is why I'm telling you, people are like I'm a Bible believer, King James, all the way. Blah, 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 blah. And you get the pastor like this, like, all right, rewrite your own Bible then. I think God knew what He was talking about. Well, this job sucks. Take it anyways. I can't believe you said that from the pulpit. You hear worse on TV. Stop it. Right? Like you, you go, well, this isn't the best job for me. Okay. Now, I'm not going to pick on him, but I, I, I feel this is a good example. Brother Stephen was, was in a job, got out of that job, and he's, he's working a job right now. And it is not his dream job. You know what I appreciate about that? He could go on unemployment. I didn't say it's wrong to get it. But I'm going to say this, you living on it for six months at a time, if you're an able-bodied man, shame on you. Shame on you. Someone else is paying for that. You say, what is this? This ain't politics. This is Bible. Look, look what it says here. Look at verse number, some of you are like, man, I ain't coming next week. <laughs> look, look at verse number 12. Now, we, 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 now then there are such we command exhort by the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Well, how come that person makes that much? Not your business. How about, how about this? Instead of going to your boss and going, hey, I heard like they make this much and I'm, I'm in the same crew. How come I don't? How about instead of doing that, go, can I sit down with you, boss, and express my value to the company and tell you why I bring this value? I don't think I should be making this. I think I should be making this. And here's why. Here's what the data in the market says. And here's what I'm able to do. And I think this, this is that much value and I'd like to get a raise versus you going around going, well, I think, you know, I, that's not biblical. Amen. See, you guys think Bible stuff's like churchy, you know, it's every aspect of your life. God has a lot more to say about it than you realize. Yeah. And, and what happens is Christians will come so far, and they go to a certain point, they go, well, I don't like that. Okay, free country. But do not call yourself a Bible believer. You say, what does money do? Well, here's what money does. It reveals things in you. And you may or may not remember the story. Remember the, 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 the I'm not a good artist. I am, I may, have, I may have gone to doc school, but I can't draw worth a lick, man. That's a pole and there's a serpent on it, all right? There's this, you know, maybe it's a flying object. I don't know, but, but you guys ever seen that on the, on the um, uh, ambulances, right? Yes. That's Bible. That's from the book of Numbers. They, the fiery serpents went out and bid the people for complaining. It's good not to complain. Don't whine. Uh, and and the, the Lord said, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. They take a, 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 a brazen, a, a pole of brass, and they take a serpent and an image of a serpent. They wrap it around the pole. And they lift it up, and they say, whoever looks at this will live, and they'll be healed of the plague. 
And it's a picture of Jesus Christ going on the cross because he became a, a sin for us, became a curse for us when he knew no sin. He became sin, right? And so they looked and they lived. Now, you say, why does that matter? Well, uh, several generations later, do you know what they're still holding on to? That pole. You know what they're doing with it? Practically worshiping it. And then uh, uh, eventually, Hezekiah comes along and goes, guys, 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 you're, this isn't right. This thing is, it's Nehushtan. You know what that means? A piece of brass. You're treating it like a god. It's just a thing. If you could learn to understand, it's just money. And what matters is not the money. It's your attitude towards it and your willingness to submit to what God says about what to do with it. That's what matters. You know what money does? It reveals. If you're a stingewad when you don't have money and then you get a lot of money, you're going to be a stingewad. Like a major one. Seriously. If, if you're a giver when you're poor and then you get a lot, you're going to be a giver. It just, it just, it'll, you say, what is it? It reveals, it magnifies your character. You say, why does God care about how we look at it? Well, because I think of that. I think when the Lord uh, cares about is things being revealed. How about this, guys? Jesus Christ, wrapping it up, Jesus Christ says, all power is given unto me. Matthew 28. Can I ask you a question? What did he do with all the power available to him? He died for your sins. He could have wiped everyone out. He died for your sins with all the power. Question. 2,000 years later, this guy shows up. His name's the Antichrist. He's going to have a lot of power. What's he going to do with it? He's going to force people to worship him. You see, it wasn't the power. It was the person that had it. And, and you understand that as it relates to money, it's no different. Listen, the Lord is going to reveal things one day at the judgment seat. And like I said on Sunday in Acts 5, it wasn't the money that was the problem. It was the heart. And Christian, during this study, here's what we're going to learn about. We're going to learn about how to save money, spending money, budgeting. Some of you are like, oh, snooze fest. No, thank you. I don't want to learn that. Well, that's what we're going to learn about. What does God say about using money, giving money? Uh, how to avoid the pitfalls so we can become better stewards so that we, like Eliezer, can fulfill the Master's will. Go back to Luke chapter 16. We'll end there. You know what the true riches are? People being saved. People's lives being changed. Someone getting up on a Wednesday night and going, I've been sober for three years. I've been sober for 10 months. That's, that's something you cannot put up. Those MasterCard commercials, you know, for, I remember way back in the day, you know, take your son to the baseball game, you know, parking, $20. Not anymore. It's like 100 you know. And, you know, a hot dog at the game, you know, $15, you know. And then, like, you know, the foam finger, $20. And then, like, you know, making memories with your son, priceless. I love how they do it with a credit card so you get charged interest to make memories with your son. But all that said, you understand, there's some things that are priceless in this life. And I can tell you right now, you know what's priceless? People like you coming to church and getting saved and getting right with God. That's priceless. That, that's the most important thing you have. What shall profit man be in the whole world and lose his own soul? soul. So you know what the true riches are? True riches is, is, is what God's work in your life. That's the true riches. 
It's being a part of that. But you know what the Lord does? He goes, look, I am not going to bring you in on something that is far greater and far more eternal in weight if you're not willing to address how you approach money. I didn't write the book. He did. Look at Luke chapter 16. And look what he says there one more time in verse 11. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? True riches. Let's all stand. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. We won't have invitation tonight, but I pray you, you soak in what, you, what was said. Think about it. Chew on it. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer and be dismissed. And pray that you got something out of the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Brother John Perlinger, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer, sir?